You're listening to the CFP Podcast with your host, Sheffy, the college football writer, the source for your college football fix with picks, clicks, and conversions over kicks. Now, here's your host, Sheffy. college football fans welcome to another pac-12 segment of the cfp podcast i am chappy joined today by josh furlong now josh is the beat writer for utah football and sports director of ksl.com he's an award-winning journalist and the source to go to when you want to talk utah football and man it seems like that's a hot button topic online this preseason so josh thanks for taking time to chat brother yeah happy to be here so, by the way, if you're new to the show, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining. And I invite you to follow, chat, and even vent to me on Twitter. I'm at ChappyCFB, and you can follow our guest, Josh, at JFURKSL. That's J-F-U-R-K-S-L. So, all right, Josh, in this series, I've started by talking about my experience and nostalgia with each guest's team. And for me, I loved watching Utah climb the CFB ladder in the whack. I mean, the 94 season where they were neck and neck with Colorado State in the whack and they beat them and then unfortunately stubbed their toe against New Mexico and um, Air Force, I think, in back-to-back weeks. But uh, watching Luther Ellis, number 83, was fun to watch in Salt Lake City. And then he was even more enjoyable to watch for my hometown Detroit Lions. Uh, One of the few things that was entertaining about that, you know, after the Barry Sanders days. But I also enjoyed watching Utah teams under Urban Meyer, you know, Alex Smith, Eric Weddle, uh, then Kyle Winningham comes in and he has been awesome and not only continuing the legacy and tradition of Utah football, which is incredible because he was a BYU guy, but then taking them to the heights that they're at now where people are talking potential CFP. And I have to say that Britton Covey was my all-time favorite youth. So he's certainly going to be missed. Um, You know, he and his nine years in Salt Lake city, it seemed like, Uh, but enough about my nostalgia. Tell us about your past and how you got into doing what you do for Utah football, Josh. Yeah, so it's kind of funny because uh, growing up, I actually didn't like uh, college football. It was something that my dad had on more just to nap to. <laughs> yeah, he was a uh, he. He grew up in Iowa, Nebraska, so he you know, he loved those teams. Iowa was always his team, but he was never really uh, a huge fan of it. I was always into like the NBA, NFL, that kind of stuff. So it was it was nice that way. Uh, but then when I got into my adult life, um, I really turned into a, a huge college football fan. I loved it. Everything about it was was really entertaining. I love the aspects of it. Um, and, you know, when I got my first journalism job, it, you know, I just happened to be uh, put on the Utah beat as, as something to, to do. And I fell in love with the sport even more. Um, so I don't I don't have like this long standing uh, history of, of of being able to watch a lot of these games. I've definitely been able to keep up and, and, and do a lot of that stuff. But uh, now I, I love it more, honestly, than the NBA. Uh, you know, that was always my first love. And and uh, it's it's been fun to be able to watch it and, and see the change and and kind of how, how my fandom has grown in terms of just all of, all of college football. Um, it, you know, and it's helped to be able to have some good rivalries in the state. I think everybody thinks that because I cover Utah that I'm, I'm a Utah lover. I hate BYU and Utah state, but that's not true. I've, uh, I've always, I've always, uh, loved to be able to follow the local schools and I want to see each team do well. Yeah, that's awesome. And unfortunately there's no Utah BYU matchup this year, but, um, I mean, the potential of both schools being in the big 12, I mean, I know that you know, there's rumors out there that Utah is kind of being courted by that conference and BYU will be joining that conference next year. So that would be good to see. And then I'm hoping that, um, you know, they can continue to work in the uh, the beehive boot between those three schools um, and, you know, see 
uh, that, uh, you know, those three schools playing each other uh, on a semi-regular basis would be great again. So um, remember, college football fans, I recently released my Pac-12 picks, projections, and peak performing players. So check out my website, cfpcollegefootball.com. So Josh, let's get into the veins of Utah football. Let's become the must. So first, I want to talk about Utah's success the last um, three, five years, really. So in the last five years, they've been the winningest Pac-12 team in terms of conference play. So they're 28 and 13 in the last five years, which is tops in the conference, 40 and 20 overall. Then you look at the last three years, Utah's 19 and four in the conference. Again, tops in the league, 24 and nine overall. Last year was, you know, one of their best seasons of, of recent date. I mean, I know the 13 and 0 season uh, early in Whittingham's tenure was pretty good, but when you consider what Utah did last year, especially just absolutely stomping Oregon in Salt Lake City um, and then beating them again in the Pac-12 championship game, coming this close to winning the Rose Bowl. I mean, it was it was awesome. And like we said earlier, people are picking Utah to make the college football playoff. Uh, our friend Brett Sianza at Pick 6 Previews, my co-host Mike Waxman, I mean, they're saying top four um, or bust. So why should casual college football fans believe the hype that Utah is ready to make that jump and become just the second Pac-12 rep since Washington in 2017 to make the college football playoff this year, Josh? Yeah, that's a, you know, that's an interesting question to, to answer, right? Because I think there's, there is a lot of hype for, for Utah right now. And I think a lot of people saw what they did in the, the Rose Bowl and, and saw that they went toe-to-toe with, with Ohio State, which many obviously see as an, uh, you know, a, a championship contending team. Um, and so I think that kind of gives them that. Uh, the interesting thing to me is, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where Kyle Whittingham has had consistency and that's the thing that helps him the most, right? Sure. You, know, you can, you can point to a lot of the different things that, you know, why Utah shouldn't be able to be in this position. And, and, you know, a lot of those reasons are very valid and real. Um, but the, the reason is Kyle Whittingham is consistent and he understands what needs to happen. He's built a, a staff around him that, that really kind of works and helps uh, complement all of the different things that he does. Now, now, are they perfect by any means? No. Do they have the recruiting base that, you know, the Ohio States, the Michigans, the Alabamas, Clemsons, those teams have? No. But, but in the same vein, they've been able to consistently do what they need to in the Pac-12 to keep them relevant. Now, you know, that it's tough. I think everybody comes in here and they, they look at USC with Lincoln Riley being hired in as, as somebody that's going to be the natural, you know, uh, we'll call it the thorn in Utah's side, we'll say. Uh, and, and that very well could be true, right? I, I'm curious to see how that works. They've obviously got a lot of skills players and a lot of different talent that, you know, Utah has to run through. But I think Utah has the most consistent base. And I think that that allows them to be able to be there. Now, will they be in the college football playoff? I don't know. 2019 was a, a good jumping off point for them. They were ranked, I believe it was five in that last week going into the PAC 12 championship game. And then they laid an egg and, and saw their, their college football playoffs uh, dreams die. And I think that's the interesting thing is I think for the longest time, they've always been trying to prove themselves. They've always trying to say, okay, look, we joined a power five conference, you know, a decade ago, people still don't give us the respect that we deserve yet. They still think that they have that respect and they do, but I think, you know, you're, you're never going to be able to be those blue bloods because you've been in, an, in it only for 10 years. And yeah, you had Urban Meyer, you had Kyle Whittingham's undefeated seasons, but those are blips on the Raider. That's like Boise State, right? Right. Now, now they've been building towards that. They've been able to see it. Even fans here locally, you know, they look at it and it was always like, we don't talk about, you know, the Rose Bowl. We don't talk about championships. We don't talk about these things because they were so worried about actually losing it. Now they're starting to get to that point where, you know, I don't, you know, some would call it arrogancy. Some would call it, you know, uh, wishful thinking, whatever, you know, fan base you want to decide on. 
Um, but I think, you know, they're starting to recognize success and they're starting to see what it takes to actually get there. So if there is a chance to get to the college football playoff this year could be that, but I still think there's so many challenges ahead of them, right? I think they have all the talent. They've got a phenomenal quarterback. They've got great depth at running back, which is their bread and butter, you know, and they've got a defense that's just always stout. So I think they have, they have the making, right? Like, I think, I think that's there for me personally. Like, I don't know if I'd put them quite there in the college football playoff spot yet, but I think that it, it is, it is viable. I just don't know how viable it is until we actually see it happen. Yeah. And from my limited exposure and experience with uh, conversing with Utah fans, it seems like Utah fans are more cautiously optimistic than other people. I mean, the, the quote unquote casual college football fan will look at and say, how could you put Utah this low? Or others will say, how could you put them this high? And it seems like a lot of Utah people are like, yeah, we've got the makings of things that, that could be really good, but you know, we don't want to, you know, we got to take it one week at a time, but we got to make sure that this happens and this happens. And of course there's the whole thing about, we got to stay healthy. We got to make sure that we have, you know, some bounces go our way. And um, I mean, you, you, it's a great segue here that you talk about Kyle Whittingham. And for me personally, I will take culture over recruiting any day. It's not even close. And he's built that. However, you know, he's number eight right now in active coaches among total wins. He's got 144. It's number one in the Pac-12. So he's got more wins in the Pac-12 than anybody else. And I know some people jump in and say, well, Lincoln Riley, if you go by winning percentage, Lincoln Riley has more in a short, in a shorter period of time, you know, take that for what it's worth. But, you know, Whittingham's got a Mountain West Conference title. He's got a Pac-12 title. He's been in four um, Pac-12 championship games uh, or three in the last four years. He's got four South Division titles. Um, he's got nine wins in nine seasons, um, nine wins or more. Yet still, people fail to talk about him when they talk about top 10 college football coaches. Why do you think that is? And why does Coach Witt get overlooked? Yeah, I think a lot of that is just simply, you know, the nature of being in Utah, right? You're not on either coast, yeah. so you're not going to be able to get that love. Um, and and he's not really that flashy of a person like he he loves to stay here. This is where he you know lived most of his life. I mean, he grew up in, in L.A. at in some points when his dad was coaching in the NFL. Yeah. But for the most part, Utah's it, right? And so for him, he's not the guy that's chasing all these big contracts and doing all that. And granted, he's getting paid handsomely in, in at Utah. But I think I think a lot of people just don't don't recognize it because it's Utah, right? Like a lot of people don't think of Utah as this place where you can have a talented head coach that's going to last as a dynasty. Yeah, you've got you know different coaches throughout college football that have been in these these places that have done it, but Utah does just doesn't seem like this place where that happens. But on that same side, I think you also have to win those big games, right? Like Kyle Whittingham going into what was it, 2019 was one of the most winningest all-time bowl game coaches. And then the last few years they've lost. Yeah. Um, they've, they've laid some eggs. You know, obviously Utah is still getting credit for that Rose Bowl loss. I think that's that what gave him some credibility. And yeah. especially since, you know, you didn't have any cornerbacks to really help and you pulled over a running back to help that. What yeah. would that game be like if you had that? Now, granted, Jackson Smith and Jigba is and CJ Stroud are just phenomenal anyway. Right. But I think he he's got to get to that point where he's got to win these big games. Yeah, you had 13 and 0, but you were in the Mountain West Conference. And yeah, you beat Alabama, but like any team can surprise a team at any given time, right? So we, yeah. we get that. But I think with with Kyle, he has to be able to eventually win those big games. And I think he's getting there. I think people are starting to recognize, like, okay, what you did to Oregon twice in, in the same season, and then what you did against Ohio State. That's great. You know, you've beaten the Michigans with Jim Harbaugh his first season. You've beaten Nick Saban with Alabama. I think those are there, but I think he has to do it on a more consistent basis and not just do it beat up beating up the Pac-12. Sure, sure. Um, and, you know, 
based on all of that, it, it, like you said earlier, going back to the first uh, question of conversation was, you know, do you see them as a college football playoff type team? And you were a little bit hesitant. And, and I'm the same way. Like I, I see them absolutely at 10 wins, possibly higher. So I don't typically like to talk about things from a negative standpoint. So we're going to phrase it this way. What will Utah need to clean up, sharpen, or watch carefully if they're to avoid stumbling on their way to that spot among the finest four in college football? Well, first off, you obviously have to be injury free, right? Well, within reason, right? I mean, right. people are going to get injured, but but I think yeah. you have to be able to have be good in the secondary. You have to be good in the secondary to be able to compete. And I think especially when you're going to go up against USC, which is going to have so many star talent at wide receiver, you know, that that's the key. You're, you're going to be fine in the trenches. You're going to be good there. Utah is returning one of the, you know, the top you know, offensive lines in the country. They're always good at the defensive line. Linebackers inexperienced, but nobody really doubts them. But I think if you really want to be successful and you want to compete with the big boys, you have to be stout in that secondary, which which is tough, right? Like you do, you do have you know Clark Phillips, um, the second who's who's coming in there that's really talented. He's he's expected to be you know an NFL type player uh, after this season. Um, he's he's the guy that you know Ohio State lost and went to Utah, which everybody points to as 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 kind of a turning point for Utah to some extent. Um, but so I think that's that's kind of where it is, and you obviously need phenomenal play from Cam Rising. So yeah. Obviously, quarterback play is it is what it is, but I don't want to necessarily handicap it on that. I, I think it it definitely does come down to that secondary and being able to make sure that they can go toe to toe with teams. Yeah, so I mean, looking at Utah's schedule here, they they get USC in Rice Eccles Stadium, uh, where in that series the home team is seven and two. So um, Utah doesn't travel well to the Coliseum. Conversely, USC doesn't travel well to Rice Eccles. So that's a that's a, a plus. What's the game that stands out to you on Utah's schedule that um, maybe you're the most concerned about, not necessarily because they're the, the second most talented team on their schedule, but maybe it's just like where it falls or the fact that it's in this location or this kind of history has happened. Who do you look at and say, okay, I, I'm really hoping that Utah wins this game because I see this as a potential trap game. Yeah, I think there's there's two games there that definitely that you can look to. One is Oregon that, you know, they trade travel to Eugene and they have to play there. That's always a tough environment. And, you, you know, you have to imagine that those those remaining Oregon Ducks players that are there, you, they remember, right? They're, they're not yeah. going to forget those two games. Uh, right. Noah Sewell alone, he's he he's has that guy will kill somebody. I honestly like, he <laughs> hit so hard. But yeah. uh, I think that's that's one of those environments is there. And then Arizona State, you know, Arizona State. Now, now I, I understand this. Arizona State is not going to be very good this year. But I think Arizona State's always kind of been that thorn in Utah's side for whatever reason it is. Yeah. Uh, they they have a way of being able to just kind of confound Utah. Now, granted, the last few years, they've actually Utah's done really well against them. Yeah. Um, but that's that's always one of those games. that's kind of a tricky one. Uh, it, it is in it is in Arizona. So it's it's one of those things that's, that's different. So. You know, for the most part, I don't I don't necessarily see the schedule as being too difficult in the sense that, you know, you, these are all winnable games for Utah. I think, you know, sure. it's pretty much the same schedule that Utah had last year, except you're replacing BYU with Florida. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to I don't want to gloss that one over because that one's a huge one. That's the first game of the season. Right. Um, Florida has a, you know, a phenomenal uh, quarterback. They've got a new head coach. You know, there's a lot of excitement there you're yeah. in the swamp i mean that's 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 a tough environment so you know ignoring that one i think in pac-12 play oregon is probably probably the number one game yeah. that i think is there and then arizona state is probably more of a trap game as 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 a team that's just like look mm-hmm. they're not they're not going to be very good we don't have to worry about them um but they somehow find a way to always just be the thorn in utah's side 
Yeah, and and I I like that pick because it's the Pac-12 opener and it's the week after San Diego State, a team that Utah tripped up against last year. So you know that a lot of that Utah roster is like, okay, we are damn sure going to beat these Aztecs this year, especially when they're coming into our backyard. And there's that potential of the emotional um, expense in that week. And then you turn around the following Saturday, you've got to go out to Sun Devil Stadium in the Pac-12 opener when, you know, Oregon State's after that. And people are thinking kind of highly of, of the Beavers in the North this year or, or in what used to be the North. I know that now it's really just a, a scheduling format. Um, and yeah, Oregon, Oregon has only lost, they've lost 10 games in the last five years. Only one has come at Austin Stadium. So they are um, whatever that number is, 30 something and one at home in the last five years. The game that stands out to me is off of a bye week, October 27th on a Thursday. So a short week um, at Pullman, Washington, where the Washington State Cougars are 31 and 10 in the last seven years, which is number 26 nationally. And I know that people will look at the schedule, casual fans and say, okay, well, it's Wazoo. You know, this is really year 1.5 of a a new coach. And um, they're still trying to find something. They got a new quarterback, a new offensive coordinator who both sound pretty good. But that's a game for me that um, Utah really, really needs to be careful there because Martin Stadium has proven to be not the easiest place to travel and play and then get out alive as you're uh, trying to get to that Pac-12 title game. I absolutely agree. I think the you know the two teams that you mentioned that kind of really you know contribute to up is Oregon State and Washington State. Oregon State did that to Utah last year. It was just this weird fluke game that Utah had no way of, of coming in. You had blocked punts that were returned for touchdowns, right. everything. But we've seen it also in Washington State where Utah and Washington State have had these weird bizarre games that like it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, and going up to Pullman, I believe it was 2019 that they were up in Pullman and they lost that game. Yeah. You know, and I think I think it's 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 one of those types of teams that for whatever reason, I, I don't know if Utah just says, okay, we're playing this lesser opponent, you know, even though they've done better, you know, I think maybe that, that just gets in their mind. I am, I am curious with Washington state. You don't have Jaden Delora. Yeah. You have, like yeah. you said, the 1.5 season uh, that, that one will be interesting to me. I don't, I'm curious to see if it was more of a galvanizing moment last year where it was like, we're going to rally around our head coach. Jaden Delora was kind of the guy that was helping them. And, w- and what does that do this year? Are they that same team? Now, with that said, I still think they're kind of one of those sleeper picks and in a lot of ways that could cause some disruption and we'll still call it the North because it's easier to describe it that way. Um, So I I don't know. I'm I'm curious to see what that is. Are are they better than Washington this year? And and, and do they rival something that Utah can't combat? I don't know. I I think I agree with you. I think it's always one of those types of games, though, Oregon State, Washington State, that that is one of those that is always just considered the trap game. It's a, it's a tough opportunity. Yeah. Like you said, come off the bye week come on a Thursday and, and you know, Pullman is in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's hard right. to be able to get there. So uh, yeah. it, it'll be interesting. And on a Thursday night, what else are uh, Wazoo students going to do or going to want to do other than attend this, you know, primetime Pac-12 game with most likely a top 10, maybe top five Utah team, probably undefeated at that point coming high off of a, uh, what I'm calling a victory over USC a um, couple of weeks prior. And it's like, okay, uh, everybody show up in droves and, you know, bring uh, old crimson there and we'll wave it around and we'll see if they can uh, escape the Pullman mystique. So, you know, talking about personnel now, Josh, who's a player or maybe two, if you have a couple in mind that we can expect to make a jump this year and have an impact season, even though maybe they're not getting any all conference talk right now, who are the guys maybe beneath the surface or one guy who you're like, okay, they had a good spring. They kind of ended last season kind of hot, but they're not getting a lot of love. Keep an eye out for this person. 
Yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, I'm trying to think of a number of players that, that would be in that scenario. Um, I'm going to stick with, let's see, where is it? Linebacker Kareni Reed. You know, he's, yeah. he's a guy that, that it's not going to really get a lot of love. Um, he's not somebody that is going to come out there and, and immediately show up and say, okay, this is the guy. Right. right. But I think he, he did exactly what he needed to at, at the linebacker position to be able to be relevant, be consistent, be a good backup. Now with, with that linebacker core essentially gutted after last year, I'm curious to see where he fits in. I think he's making necessary steps to get there. I think he's one of those guys that can, can, can be there now with that being said, I I understand that there's some other guy like Lander Barton. He's a freshman that is just an incredible talent and he's probably going to get us, you know, the starting role. You also have Muhammad um, Diabate coming from Florida who should absolutely dominate there. So, you know, I'm curious to see where he fits into that, but he's one of those guys that, that is there that is going to get some love. Um, otherwise, I also would point to Travis Broughton, JT Broughton. He's a cornerback. Um, he was starting to get some, you know, tremendous love. He was starting to do some really good things, but nobody's really seen much from him because he got injured. Yeah. Um, he would be a phenomenal compliment to Clark Phillips on the other side at corner, you know, right. allow him to be able to do that. You also have Malone Mattaele, who's a nickelback, uh, you know, hybrid role situation right there. I think those are the type of players that I think are going to surprise people that maybe don't get a lot of that love. Clark Phillips is, is stolen all the love because he's that high sure. recruit. He's the guy that's done it. Um, JT Broughton, Malone Mattaele, um, Karene Reed, you know, those types of players, I think, those are the glue that kind of fit it together. Those aren't yeah. necessarily maybe some of the the stars, maybe JT Broughton can be that level. Um, but I think those are kind of those guys that I think can have, have that impact. moving forward. Yeah. And that seems to be the epitome of a Kyle Whittingham, Morgan Scally defense is more than just the, the headliners. It's like you said, all that glue that kind of, um, and again, going back to the, the idea of building a culture, you know, it's not a, Hey, we've got three or four or five star guys that we're putting out on this defense. It's everybody's got a role. Everybody's got to contribute. And it's not just the top 11, it's guys, you know, on in depth as well. So, I mean, you talked about Lander Barton um, and I've heard some talk of other newcomers this year who have stepped on campus or maybe have had workouts and really impressed the coaches and their new teammates and the media like you, that's close. So aside from Barton, which other youngsters do you expect to log some serious snaps and maybe start to etch their way into the Utah universe this season? I think that's definitely Jalen Glover. I think he's the the he's a running back from Florida. Um, he he's a guy that you know I, I I hesitate to say this because Tavion Thomas was so dominant last year when he played. I mean he he had some issues with fumbling and so that that kind of kept him out at times. But I, I hesitate to say that you know a Jalen Glover can come in there and just dominate and and win that job. But I think if there's anybody that can can have an immediate impact as a freshman, it's probably him. I think he's he's got the you know he's he's built like nobody's business for a freshman. I mean, like you're watching yeah. some of these kids come in, and you're like, there's no way you should be built like that. Right. Um, but he comes in, he's he's got a great head on his shoulders, where he's you know he's got a great IQ, he's smart, he's you know he carries himself in a way that that feels like more of a veteran. Um, and, and I don't you know, I don't want to overshoot the fact that he's a freshman and it's, it's going to take time to get there, right? Your first game against Florida is going to be a huge jump. I mean, that's your hometown, you right. know, you're, you're going to come in there and you're going to be able to see some craziness, but yeah. I think, you know, if he can, if he can manage, you know, Florida and then the next two games with San Diego state and Southern Utah, Southern Utah is not really the issue there, but I think if he can manage that and get in there, I really think that he's going to, you know, rival at least Tavion Thomas in terms of those carries. And I think he has a good shot to be able to do that. He's, you know, he's, he's built, he's, he hits hard. He comes in there, he attacks the gaps really you know, well. And he, he's, he's able to break away. He's got great speed. So that's, that's one of those guys that, 
you know, outside of Lander Barton on the defense, on the offense, I think it's definitely him. I think he's the guy that, you know, fans are going to look to as, okay, you know, this is the freshman that's going to get some a lot of play. Yeah. And I mean, for him to get that consideration and to be, can, you know, looked at as possibly the number two in a room that also contains Makai Bernard and Chris Curry, you know, a, a big physical back uh, transfer from LSU a couple of seasons ago. I mean, that's saying something. I'm hearing a lot about Justin Medlock on the defensive side as well. Is he somebody else who's kind of emerged? Cause I'm hearing Barton and Medlock as two guys that, you know, we could hear a lot about on this defense, especially maybe by season's end, if um, if talent or even injury necessitates their their rise. Yeah, I think Lander was definitely the guy that everybody was expecting, right? I think everybody expected him to do it. He's got an older brother in the NFL. You know, he's he's right. got the make. He's he's seemingly better. But Justin Medlock, every time we'd talk to Kyle Whittingham, he was always he would always be thrown in there. And and Kyle doesn't just throw names in there to throw names in there. He's right. one of those guys that he's very like he's very calculated in how he does that. And so yeah. with Lander and Med, Justin Medlock getting linked together, that, that you know, we can't see it necessarily to some extent because, right. you know, we, we don't see those practices. But yeah. the fact that he's linking those two together says something because I think, you know, he was, I don't want to say he was an under-recruited talent, but I think he wasn't getting the love that a lot of people expected Justin Medlock to get. And yeah. so the fact that he's able to rival, you know, a four-star guy, a guy that is, is able to be able to do those things, I think that that goes a long way. And 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 I think Justin is going to be a phenomenal talent for him as well. Excellent. Excellent. Um, this is all great, like, you know, uh, between the tea leaves, you know, the minutiae that we want here on the CFP podcast. So a um, couple of questions real quick about the Pac-12 as you see it. So I'm going to give you my, my top four in the conference. Um, and for those, again, who are, are unaware, the Pac-12 championship this year is not going to be split in the North and South. It's going to be the top two teams in terms of win percentage within the, the conference first and then head to head. And, you know, they've, they've got their pecking order. So I see it um, and, and don't get mad at me, Utah fans, but I see Oregon and USC as the top two. I have Utah beating USC, but I do have the Utes uh, slipping up in Pullman and then losing at Oregon, giving them two Pac-12 losses. And I see, um, the Utah game really being the only loss for USC. So by virtue of how their schedule sets up, I see those two, but then I've got Utah three and I've got UCLA four. So um, how do you see the, the, who do you look at as the top four teams in this conference vying for Vegas on December 2nd, as, as it appears to you right now, Josh? I, I would think those four teams are, are the ones that I, I would see. Um, yeah. how, how it, I think UCLA, in my opinion, is maybe the, the next tier of those four. Yeah. Oh, I see sure. it those three. Um, my, my question really comes down to Oregon and in Bo Nix, right? I, I, I yeah. think he's the, you know, expected starter. He's obviously had experience with Auburn and, and, and different talent that way, but he hasn't been consistent. He hasn't shown right. enough that I don't know if he's going to do it well at, at Oregon. Obviously Dan Lanning is a different guy and he, you know, maybe he can get something out of him. Yeah. And so that's, that's what gives me pause with Oregon. I, I don't really know. And so that's where I kind of have problem for. And so for that reason, I, I would probably go with Utah and USC in the championship sure. game. Um, I think it's a really safe pick, right? I think, you know, yeah. that's, that doesn't, you're not going to lose a lot of sleep over that one. Right. Um, but, but when you said USC and Oregon, I, I a hundred percent see it. I, I think that's a, a viable solution that, that could work. And, and I think that's something that, you know, USC has a very favorable schedule that I think, you know, for them to make a mistake, it's, it's going to be far less difficult or if that makes sense, right? Like Utah's schedule isn't necessarily that difficult. I, you know, it is, but it's, it's not as difficult as, or it, it is a little bit more difficult than USC's. And I think right. USC has all of the ability to be able to, to run that table. Now, I don't think they're going to go unscathed. I think they'll, they'll lose a game right. or two, mm -hmm. but I, I definitely think that the USC has that best chance. And so, 
you know, Oregon, you know, whatever Oregon does, I think that's fine. I think Utah is looking more at USC and if they can beat yeah. USC, I think that gives them the best chance. Now, like you said, you lose a game to Washington state or Oregon state or one of these other schools, you know, you can almost kiss it goodbye, especially with right. how it's structured. So, yeah. you know, I, I I'll go with Utah USC right now, but I, I a hundred percent agree with you. Yeah. And of course, you know, I mean, this is going on Twitter, so it's gospel right now. And you are either 100 percent right or 100 percent wrong and you're an idiot. Right. So and most of Twitter, uh, we're all idiots anyway. So um, so what about uh, a team that you think could exceed expectations and maybe be more of a player in the conference cat scratch than many might see right now? Is there a team that jumps out to you that you're like, well, I'm not hearing a lot about this team, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them in that top four um, come November? Uh, you know, when you said it, I, I wasn't thinking necessarily top four, but, um, you know, I can, I can go with that. I, you know, Washington state could be one of those teams if they can build yeah. off of that. Um, maybe Washington. I don't know. I, I, I'm, st- I'm still curious to see what happens with Washington. So I'm, I'm yeah. not ready to, to concede that. Um, right. but when you, when you said that I, I was, you know, really interested in Arizona. Now that sounds like a funny pick because Arizona is, has been garbage, right? Let's be real. I mean, they, they right. hired terribly. They, they haven't recruited well. And I yeah. think ultimately the recruiting is going to hurt them and, and, and it's going to take them a few years to get there. But sure. I think what Jed fish has there, he's, he's doing well. And I, I, you know, I'm not expecting them to be in the top four, but I could definitely see Arizona being in the middle of the conference and being able to compete at a better level than ever yeah. before. You know, I, like you said, Twitter, Twitter type stuff. I, and I, I put out there that I think Arizona is going to finish above Arizona state this year. I think that's, and I'm right there with you, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and, I don't and, know. I think they're good, right? Like, I think they have the talent. I think they've they've understood what's going on. Nobody believes in them, so they're going yeah. to those games that that's just going to be, you know, stupid. But it's right. it's fun. So I don't know. Yeah, and and you know, uh, again, cfpcollegefootball.com. I picked Arizona as my team to exceed expectations. I have them going four and eight in uh, on the year this year, and um, all four wins in conference, which would put them at four and five. And one thing that Jed Fish and his staff have done really well is they've really hit the transfer portal. So last year and then this previous cycle as well, I mean, getting guys like Jade Delora, Jacob Cowling from uh, UTEP, um, Anthony Solomon from Michigan on the defensive side, Hunter Eccles from USC. I mean, those are just a couple of guys. And, um, you know, when on one of our recent Pac-12 podcasts, when we were talking about the Pac-12, that was a team that I wanted to throw out there because I'm not calling for Arizona to be an eight-win team this year, but if they – make it to a bowl, or if they get to seven, maybe even eight wins by virtue of things bouncing the right way, I would not be overly surprised because of what they've done the last two years. I think Jed Fish has, has made the most traction with the least amount and what he started with than maybe any coach in the Pac-12 um, on the staff right now, at least within the last few years. Yeah, I, um, I think he's got a lot of opportunities for him. So I think I, I think it'll be exciting to watch Arizona and see what they can do. Yeah, I Right there with you, and I'm glad you brought that up. So one last question, and then we'll we'll wrap it up here, Josh. But um, on the other side, is there a team that you think might be overrated where expectations and plates of pressure are heavier than what they're ready to bench at this time, uh, to use that weightlifting analogy? You know, I think the, the, the easy pick there is USC. I think it's yeah. easy to sit there and say that Lincoln Riley is going to come in, everything's going to gel, um, everything's going to work well. Um, I, I, I hesitate with that one, though, because I think – you know, Lincoln Riley is a proven talent. Um, yeah. he, he understands his rosters really well. He's able to maximize it. He's obviously got a quarterback that he knows very well. Um, and I mean, it's real easy when you've got all these guys, you know, Jordan Addison, for one example, that comes in, you, you know, he knows a thing or two about playing, playing football. Um, sure. I, I think, I think 
you know, there is potential to crash and burn there, but at the same time, I, I think they're good outside of that. I don't know if there's anybody that really is getting a lot of hype that, that could do it. Maybe it's Utah, right? I think maybe, right. you know, Utah could come in there and, and maybe it was the death of their two teammates that really galvanized them and helped them and, and really helped them. Now, I don't think it's fully that I think, you know, that they have the talent and they can do it, but mm-hmm. maybe they're that team, right. Where they, they only get eight or nine wins and something happens where now that you're the hunted and then instead of the hunter and, and it's easy to to lose a lot of those games. So for me, you know, I, I think, you know, Utah, USC, Oregon, even to that extent where, you know, Bo Nix could just be a horrible fell and, you know, your backups don't really do anything. Right. You know, any three of those I think could be it. But other than that, I don't know if there's anybody that's really overhyped. Maybe UCLA, Chip Kelly hasn't really done anything with Dorian Thompson Robinson. So right. uh, I don't know that, that, that is a tough question. And I'm going to have to give that one some thought. I, I, I have sure. to admit, I think, I think, there is definitely a lot of hype for USC. So I think it's easier for them to fail just from how, how much hype there is. Yeah. But uh, any three of those teams I think could easily be in that category. Yeah. And, you know, so when I look at that, I, I kind of look at the common projections of win totals. And so Oregon state, like I said earlier, is a team that some people are wanting to peg as like, okay, they could be the sleeper in the PAC 12 and they could be, but they start off with Boise state at home. Then they got to travel to Fresno on back-to-back weeks They've got Montana State, which is an FCS uh, team that, you know, you really shouldn't overlook. Then they've got to play USC at home and Utah on the road. So their first five games are extremely tough. Um, They've got to travel to Washington. You know, Seattle's a tough place to play. Stanford is a team who I think is is probably going to be a little bit better than many people expect this year. And they've got to play them, you know, on the farm. So, you know, while I have Oregon State going eight and four this year, I only have them at five and four in the conference. And again, there's a couple of those uh, wins that I project as wins that could easily go with the other side. And we could see not an eight and 14, but maybe a six and 16, maybe even a five and seven team. And people are saying, what the heck happened to Oregon state? You know, I thought Jonathan Smith had this team going in the right direction. So that's kind of my pick. I, I, I think that's fair. Cause I think, you know, like you said, looking at the win totals projections and all that, I think, I think that makes sense. Maybe it's an Arizona state as well. Right. I think yeah. people for whatever reason still have them winning in a lot of games. Yeah. I, I just don't see it. Uh, maybe, yeah. maybe they do. Maybe Herm Edwards figures out a way, but I, I don't see it. So yeah, I, if you're going that route, a hundred percent, I agree with you. Sure. I think, you know, Oregon state, Arizona state, Washington state, those types of teams, I think those might be, might be overrated that way. Yeah. We're on the same page, man. So, all right, Josh, that was great, man. I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is your precision and depth of knowledge on not only Utah football, but the Pac-12 conference and the schedule that's laid out in front of them every year. And when we talk, we're just talking football like we're old college buddies that get together frequently. And this is what we talk about. So thanks for helping us have a great time and a great show, Josh. Yeah, anytime. I'm happy to do it. Like I said. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, Ladies and gentlemen, he, you know, he has fun doing what he's doing and he's really good at it, but this is his work. I mean, our guy here does the work with no fuss, but he does it for the must. Okay. And so those you don't know, that's the Utah fan base out here. So uh, Josh, do you want to remind everyone where they can find what you do and tell them how they might be able to expand with your expertise and possibly communicate constructively with you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm on, I'm active on Twitter at uh, jfurksl, uh, and you can catch my work at ksl.com pretty easy, pretty easy letters to, to, to remember. So, right. uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to talk with anybody about anything. I, I am an AP top 25 voter as well. So I, I will talk about other teams. It doesn't just have to be Utah. I'm happy to, to discuss different things that way. So, um, I, I'm excited. I love talking college football. I think it's great. I, I, I obsess over it. I, I enjoy it. So uh, happy to do it anytime. Excellent. Well, you know, that's, it's, it's what I live and breathe and, uh, it's never going to be taken away from me regardless of how much it's been changing in the last couple of years. 
uh, to my passion. So again, thanks for being with us. Well, that's our Ute man for you, the fans. Once again, this has been the CFP podcast. Don't forget to rate and review, subscribe, visit our website, cfpcollegefootball.com. If you're looking for a regular fix of CFB. Thanks again for listening. I'm Chappie, and I'm happy that you were here. Now go enjoy the day. Bye, everybody.